Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, Richard Feynman's famous diagrams represent a deep shift in how we think about the universe. Later, we'll hear from an explorer of quantum borderlands. Richard Feynman looked tired when he wandered into Frank Wilczek's office. It was the end of a long, exhausting day in Santa Barbara sometime around 1982. His events that day included a seminar that was also a performance, lunch with eager postdocs, and discussions with senior researchers. The life of a celebrated physicist is always intense, but Feynman still wanted to talk physics. Wilczek told Feynman about what he thought were some exciting new ideas, like fractional spin and anions. Unimpressed, Feynman said, Wilczek, you should work on something real. Looking to break the awkward silence that followed, Wilczek asked Feynman the most disturbing question in physics. Why doesn't empty space weigh anything? Feynman, normally quick and lively, went silent. It was the only time Wilczek had ever seen him look wistful. Finally, Feynman said, I once thought I had that one figured out. It was beautiful. And then, excited, he explained, The reason space doesn't weigh anything, I thought, is because there's nothing there. To appreciate what he said, we need to know some backstory. It involves the distinction between vacuum and void. Vacuum, in modern usage, is what you get when you remove everything that you can, whether practically or in principle. We say a region of space realizes vacuum if it is free of all the different kinds of particles and radiation we know about. Or we say vacuum is the state of minimum energy. Intergalactic space is a good approximation to a vacuum. Void, on the other hand, is a theoretical idealization. It means nothingness, space without independent properties, whose only role, we might say, is to keep everything from happening in the same place. Void gives particles addresses, nothing more. Aristotle famously claimed that nature abhors a vacuum, but a more correct translation might be nature abhors a void. In Newton's masterpiece, the Principia, the players are bodies that exert forces on one another. Space, the stage, is an empty receptacle. It has no life of its own. In Newtonian physics, vacuum is a void. That Newtonian framework worked brilliantly for nearly two centuries, and at first, the corresponding ones for electric and magnetic forces seemed to do so as well. But in the 19th century, as people investigated electricity and magnetism more closely, Newton-style equations proved inadequate. Electromagnetic fields are the primary objects of reality. Quantum theory amplified Maxwell's revolution. According to quantum theory, particles are merely bubbles of froth kicked up by underlying fields. Photons, for example, are disturbances in electromagnetic fields. As a young scientist, Feynman found that view too artificial. He wanted to bring back Newton's approach and work directly with the particles we actually perceive. He wanted to challenge hidden assumptions and reach a simpler description of nature. He wanted to avoid a big problem that the switch to quantum fields had created. In quantum theory, fields have a lot of spontaneous activity. They fluctuate in intensity and direction, and while the average value of the electric field in a vacuum is zero, 
the average value of its square is not zero. That's significant because the energy density in an electric field is proportional to the field square. The energy density value, in fact, is infinite. The spontaneous activity of quantum fields goes by several different names, quantum fluctuations, virtual particles, or zero-point motion. There are subtle differences in the connotations of these expressions, but they all refer to the same phenomenon. Whatever you call it, the activity involves lots of energy, an infinite amount of energy. For most purposes, we can leave that disturbing infinity out of consideration. Only changes in energy are observable. And because zero-point motion is characteristic of quantum fields, changes in energy in response to external events are generally finite. We can calculate them. They give rise to some very interesting effects that have been observed experimentally. Far from being problematic, those effects are triumphs for quantum field theory. The exception is gravity. Gravity responds to all kinds of energy, whatever form that energy may take. So the infinite energy density associated with the activity of quantum fields, even in a vacuum, becomes a big problem when we consider its effects on gravity. In principle, those quantum fields should make the vacuum heavy, but experiments tell us that the gravitational pull of the vacuum is quite small. Until recently, scientists thought it was zero. Maybe Feynman's conceptual switch from fields to particles would avoid the problem. Feynman started from scratch. He drew pictures of stick figure lines that showed links of influence between particles. The first published Feynman diagram appeared in the journal Physical Review in 1949. To understand how one electron influences another using Feynman diagrams, you have to imagine that electrons, as they move through space and evolve in time, exchange a photon. This is the simplest possibility. It's also possible to exchange two or more photons, and Feynman made similar diagrams for that. By drawing another squiggle and letting it extend freely into the future, he represented how an electron radiates a photon. And so, step by step, one can describe complex physical processes assembled like tinker toys from very simple ingredients. Feynman diagrams look like pictures of processes that happen in space and time, and in a sense they are, but they should not be interpreted too literally. What they show are not rigid geometric paths, but more flexible constructions reflecting quantum uncertainty. In other words, you can be sloppy with the shape and configuration of the lines and squiggles as long as you get the connections right. Feynman found that he could attach a simple mathematical formula to each diagram. The formula expresses the likelihood of the process the diagram depicts. He found that in simple cases, he got the same answers that people had obtained with much more work using fields. That's what Feynman meant when he said, there's nothing there. By removing the fields, he'd gotten rid of their contribution to gravity. He thought he found a new approach to fundamental interactions that was not only simpler than the conventional one, but also sounder. It was a new way to think about fundamental processes. But first appearances proved deceptive. As he worked things out further, Feynman discovered that his approach had a similar problem to the one it was supposed to solve. We can draw Feynman diagrams that are completely self-contained without particles to initiate the events. These so-called disconnected graphs or vacuum bubbles are the Feynman diagram analog of zero-point motion. 
you can draw diagrams for how virtual quanta affect gravitons and rediscover the morbid obesity of empty space. Feynman gradually realized and then proved that his diagram method is not a true alternative to the field approach. It's an approximation to it. To Feynman, that came as a bitter disappointment. But his diagrams remain a treasured asset in physics because they often provide good approximations to reality. Plus, they're easy to work with. They help scientists bring their powers of visual imagination to bear on worlds they can't actually see. The calculations that eventually earned Frank Wolchek a Nobel Prize in 2004 would have been very difficult without Feynman diagrams. On that day in Santa Barbara, citing those examples, he told Feynman how important his diagrams had been to his work. Feynman seemed pleased, though he could hardly have been surprised. He replied with a wink, saying the good part was seeing people use them, seeing them everywhere. That was an excerpt from Frank Wilczek's column, How Feynman Diagrams Almost Save Space. Up next, an interview with an explorer of quantum borderlands. Suchitra Sebastian is a fringe physicist, but she's not a crackpot. She lectures at Cambridge and has published a string of papers in science and nature. But she likes to venture into the borderlands between forms of matter that other physicists have already explored. There, in the space between where the particles in a material begin to change from one configuration to another, new quantum effects appear, effects that she said emerge before they're theoretically predicted. Last year, she discovered what appeared to be electrons looping their way through an insulator, a type of material that should prevent such movement. The observation in a substance called samarium hexaboride is still not understood, but Sebastian says one possibility is that what was looping was not electrons, but an entirely new kind of subatomic building block. Interactions between electrons create wave-like disturbances that serve as the basic components of almost every complex material. These disturbances are known as quasiparticles. They tend to act like heavier versions of electrons, but not in this case. In samarium hexaboride, the possibility is that the electron itself has broken apart, Sebastian said. Instead of thinking of the electron as the building block, we need to think of the fractional parts of the electron as the building blocks. These fractional quasiparticles would create an entirely new way to understand the universe of materials. She explained her work to Quanta Magazine during a tour of her new magnet lab at Cambridge. What my research is about is looking at complicated materials under very extreme conditions with the aim of creating new quantum effects that emerge from trillions of electrons. So I put on very high magnetic fields, high pressures, and very low temperatures to bring the material into this special quantum state. So this lab is something I've specially designed. I've been designing it for quite a while now to provide specific conditions such that a very high field magnet reaching 21 tesla and going down to very, very low temperatures, less than 10 millikelvin, which is less than minus 272 uh, degrees Celsius. Um, this very special high field magnet and low temperature refrigerator, we're going to put uh, crystals of these special materials into this magnet, uh, which should be installed within the next few months and create just um, these conditions that you only find in very few places in the world, 
such that we can create amazing physics which revolutionizes our understanding of materials beyond anything we know already. Sebastian herself moves between very different worlds. Before delving into science, she worked as a management consultant, and now she performs in experimental theater pieces when she's not in the lab. She said she does intensely different things. If she spends too much time on the analytical physics side of things, she feels like she's gasping for oxygen. Research is not about drawing within the lines, she said. It's about discovery and creativity. That was a recap of Maggie McKee's interview with Suchitra Sebastian, an explorer of quantum borderlands. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's podcast. I'm Karen Shikurji. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.